Information sharing among financial institutions about emerging cyber threats has become increasingly critical, especially in the wake of recent DDoS attacks. But beyond DDoS, what leading cybersecurity risks are experts warning banking institutions to remain most mindful of? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, and I'm joined today by Bill Nelson of the Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center and John Waters of global cyber intelligence firm iSight Partners to discuss a new partnership that aims to keep banking leaders ahead of the cyber attack curve. Bill and John, FSISAC and iSight recently announced a strategic partnership. What can you tell us about the partnership that you recently signed? Sure. Uh, this is Bill. From our perspective, we really wanted to leverage the subject matter expertise of iSight partners to obtain uh, really relevant and actionable threat intel for our members. So iSight is now providing regular briefings and ad hoc briefings to the membership on the real main threats to our sector and intelligence uh, about how these attacks could be detected and in some cases even mitigated. So the analysis that we're getting from them is really uh, helping our sector be better prepared. This is what iSight does exclusively. We're in the cyber intelligence business. And, you know, in doing so, we help FSI SACIN's members really demystify this threat environment they're operating in. There's an awful lot of noise in their networks. There's an awful lot of noise, frankly, in the press and trying to understand what's happening. And we help them and their members clearly understand uh, what threats are real and which ones are perceived. Uh, and that enables them to prioritize their resources against you know, high-impact threats, the real true threats that are hidden in the cloud of noise around those threats, so they spend their money on the right things and focus on the right things. The one thing you'll see is the threat environment today is intentionally being filled with a lot of misinformation from the adversary themselves, which makes it very difficult for companies without an intelligence arm to find out what's really relevant and which they can listen to and which they can avoid. So when we have these briefings with Bill and his membership, that's exactly what we focus on. And John, can you give us any idea about how iSight collects its cyber threat data and then provides that analysis to the member institutions that are part of FSISAC? We collect in a variety of ways, but the key differentiator is it has to be global and it has to be multilingual. So we, we operate covering 56 different countries around the world, operating in 22 native languages with our 181 staff globally that are able to, through relationships and research efforts, really understand emerging threat centers, the tools, tactics, and techniques that are being used and being developed and being merchandised in different parts of the world. And plus, we also learn from different incident data from relationships we have with local law enforcement and country companies and consortiums that just small information sharing partnerships to where an attack that's being executed today somewhere in Asia or South America, you know, may be coming to you know, North American banks next week. So the origin of FSISAC and really a core function of what iSight Partners does is community defense enablement where one person's reactive is the next person's proactive and predictive. So we are able to harvest our knowledge from all of these global centers, bring that back to our threat fusion center, and create analysis of what real threats are, how they're operating, what the technical characteristics are of those threats to enable our customers to detect and defeat it. With respect to the FSI SAC, where we're able to help their membership is really understand what's important, where to focus their efforts, and what the real level of threat is so they can communicate with their leadership what the real risk is to their organization rather than you know, what may a perceived risk be from the press or what they're hearing from other sources. So the delivery is through you know, standard scheduled briefings. It's not delivery of all the content and delivery of all the, the research. It's, it's delivery of 
the message and the meaning of what they're experiencing in a way that the banks can communicate properly with leadership and, and prioritize efforts to, to manage risk. And then, Bill, I'd like to go back to you to ask, why did FSISAC pursue this partnership now? What made the timing right? I think the threats to the financial services sector, I mean, they really continue to grow. I mean, we have you know, cyber criminals, hacktivists, you know, even nation state threats, and all these have different motivations. And John was right. There is a lot of misinformation about those threats, and the chief information security officers are often now part of the agenda of their board of directors and become a C-suite issue. Our, the FSISAC board and our members thought it was very important for the members to have the latest and best intelligence about these threats in order for them to really provide the maximum security to their firms and their customers, but to really understand what these threats are and make sense of them. I don't know how to describe it, but I think this partnership, and we were doing a lot of information sharing before this, and I wouldn't even use the word augment. I think it, it this this partnership really augments it, but also makes sense of some of the information we were getting from government, other sectors, even media, but even what members were sharing with each other. And it augments it in many ways, but I think the key is putting the intel into context, really defining the threat, what the motivation is behind the attacker, who's being targeted, how to detect it, how to respond and mitigate. And all that really starts to make sense with this uh, partnership. Bill, you've touched on this, but I'd like for you to delve a little bit more deeply. How was FSISAC communicating information with its members before this partnership took effect? Because it didn't take effect until actually the second quarter of this year. I joined the FSI SEC in 2006, and frankly, there wasn't much information sharing going on at all in 2006. I've said this many times, but we literally would throw a party if somebody shared information. But that really changed over the last seven years, and we saw a whole plethora of information being shared between the members, especially incident information. Uh, we started to get, finally, you know, information coming from government that used to be a one-way street where we would feed government information, didn't really get much back, but starting to see more from them. So that's improved also. It could be better. But I think, you know, as a result of this, we now have actionable intelligence, sometimes even before we see the attacks, which is very helpful to the sector, helps them better prepare. So yeah, I think that's the big improvement. Now, it's not always the case, but, you know, sometimes it is after the fact. But I think having the analysis about it, I think, was lacking before. The one thing I would add to that is the one challenge with information sharing is that there's not a central analytical rigor applied to all of those information data points that are shared. You don't really have a knowledge center that everybody can draw from to take action. So people have said oftentimes information sharing is overrated if all we're doing is filling up each other's inboxes. You know, so you have to have a, an analysis center that actually takes that information shared and delivers that store of knowledge in a usable way to its customers. And that's where Bill's team does a good job with all the incidents that are shared among its members, and then we provide that external strategic threat view that says, here's everything we're seeing from the threat environment itself um, as it's developing into what may be a real risk for financial institutions. And the, the coupling of the incident handling and sharing work that they do with what we do, uh, I think is a good service for the members. John, I'd like to piggyback on that a bit and ask about some of the specific threats that you see facing the industry. Distributed denial of service attacks, as I noted during the opening of the call, are an obvious concern for financial services. But what other top cyber threats and risks should be top of mind? Yeah, the world's changed dramatically in the last several years. And if you think of the threat environment that the government has operated in forever from a cyber perspective, that used to be viewed as very differently than the cyber threat environment that the commercial sector operated in different actors with different capability, you know, targeting 
for different purposes. Today, what we've seen is really the convergence of the threat environment to where we're all operating in the same threat environment, and you've seen the same types of capability, sophistication, and tools being used by government against governments to be used against commercial sector. So that's really changed the complexity of the challenge for banks that aren't resourced to really understand the threat they're operating in and how to position resources against advanced threats. So the biggest change is not just the incredible increase in DDoS capability uh, in the disruptive type of force that can apply to institution. The biggest fear on top of that today, as we saw in Saudi Aramco, and was another fear that came to light through this recent South Korean attacks, is destruction of data. So there's one thing to disrupt your operations for a period of time. There's another thing to destroy uh, you know, the integrity of your information in a way that it makes it very difficult and challenging to operate. So that's a risk that you wouldn't typically think of in terms of a commercial target. What's the value of to destroying my data to an adversary? Uh, and there is no financial value, but there is potentially some strategic or national value in doing so, or at least messaging value in doing so that wasn't here before considered real risk. And then, Bill, what you're hearing from your member institutions about emerging threats and some of the risk mitigation challenges that they're facing. The biggest challenges, uh, some of these attacks that we've seen, particularly advanced DDoS attacks in general, they're very persistent and they've really widened their scope of the attacks. It's not just against you know, some big name companies, uh, you know, credit card companies or large banks, retail banks. It, they've gone down to regional banks, they've hit credit unions, they've hit insurance companies, they've hit even some small community banks have been hit with some of these attacks. So we see a real need to help some of the smaller financial institutions. You know, they've been hit before too with uh, account takeover attacks, for instance, from the cyber criminal area and attackers, but uh, from the DDoS side, and we, a lot of these small institutions now have been hit with DDoS to either disguise account takeover or in some cases, even some advanced DDoS that were just uh, disruptive. And it's also the concern that John raised, and we heard that kind of theme at the RSA conference, that disruption is the pathway to destruction. And you know we're very concerned about that, uh, at least the members are. Bill, you've talked a little bit about how you feel that this partnership with iSight will help to enhance some of the information that is disseminated to member banking institutions. Are there any other points about the partnership that you'd like to highlight before we close? You know, one of the things we're looking at is more automation of the threat data and, uh, you know, some of the incident data that the members are sharing today, some of the threat indicators we're getting from government and other sources. I mean, this really allows us to spend more time on automating the data so it can be digested by the members and prioritized and allows the you know, the strategic aspect of terms of analysis that iSight can provide, frees our members up to do actually more strategic thinking about how to protect themselves going forward. So I think that's a big advantage too. Frees us up to do more of the operational automation projects that we've been wanting to get to, but we also want to, we're trying to address the analysis side too. So at least we've got one of those covered and we can now address automation. And then are there any final thoughts that either one of you would like to share before we close? First, I want to say I think the partnership's working out very well so far. We've had several briefings already, and uh, we're, we're very pleased. And going forward, I think there's uh, opportunities for further partnerships. You know, the, the one comment I had made about, you know, we're operating in a threat environment today that is very similar to what the government's been operating in for years. Yet if you look at the way that the commercial sector spends its money on security, it's very different than the way the government does. So the government 
for example, will spend 10% of their security dollars on an intelligence program to understand the threat environment they're operating in, the tools and tradecraft of the adversaries that they're up against, uh, to inform the other 90% of how they spend that properly. Yet the commercial sector has really been very far behind in investing on the intelligence side to understand the threat environment that they operate in. This partnership is a good bridge for organizations, particularly the mid-sized and smaller organizations that couldn't afford an intelligence program on their own and will help inform the larger institutions that have not yet implemented intelligence program to really have a full-born cyber intelligence program that leads their operations so they can prioritize all of their investments tactically and strategically against the threat realities they're up against as they change. It's a different way of doing business. It's leading intelligence towards the, the core of your security program versus you know, having compliance or some other driver of how you invest your dollars. I think it's incumbent upon the commercial industry to begin to learn from lessons of folks like the government that has been up against the same threat environment we're now operating in commercially for the last several years. It's a good opportunity to learn from what's been seen before. Small to mid-sized organizations, you know, they may not have all the tools and the capabilities and the expertise necessarily to fight the fight tactically as well as the big guys do, but at least they can understand and communicate the risk to their boards. On the larger organizations, um, I think this will help enlighten those ones that may be on the tipping point of trying to implement an intelligence program that there's value in this type of approach to managing risk. Again, we've just heard from Bill Nelson of FSISAC and John Waters of iSight. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.